And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So apparently the Wizards either get destroyed or they win in the final second because that's exactly what has happened these last six games. They're three and three. The three losses have been by double digits and they've trailed by a ton in all three of them. And the three wins have literally all come down to the last second, like literally the last second, like a TLC miss layup and a Zach Levine miss layup. And Miami Heat not closing out the game, and that is how they've won those three games. And uh, we talk about so much of the same stuff on this podcast, because that's what the Wizards do, right? They they inspire harping on the same things, and that's how they end up 6-15. and 15. But today, we're going to do a little bit something different. Uh, I, I have given Ben Standig a homework assignment, and we're coming in with and we're just going to throw out a few takes at each other of things that we have not spoken about on the podcast. And we're just going to throw a few takes or observations or whatever at each other and 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 talk about things that we haven't talked about. So all the normal topics, all the normal storylines, all the adjacent normal storylines, they're all out. It is the Ben Standick podcast of the week. Ben, we ready to go? We ready to do this thing? Uh, we, we are. I, I cannot promise 100% that these will be so original topics. I'm, I did the best I could, but uh, we'll, we'll just see what happens. All right. Give me. What's number one? You want me to go first? Sure. Um, do, do you want me to go positive or not positive? Go positive. It's a Tuesday morning. Start the day off okay. nice. Well, I mean, all right. So, I mean, again, it's not like this is a, 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 a completely original thought, but like in in the thought of okay, what what positive things can can I say about this team? More to the point, what for me are the things that I'm interested in that are of a positive nature? And it always comes back for me to basically the guy who's the most second most interesting player on the team beyond Bradley Beal, and that's Denny Avdia. Uh, you know, if, if you want to tell me that this season ends with some level of optimism going forward. Like to me, that's going to be you know him and to some degree Rui Hachimura becoming viable pieces that you can start to see. Hey, you know, w- as they continue to progress, combined with Beal or Westbrook or whatever, that this is a this is a real uh, you know real thing. Somebody who can be a real part of a starting lineup or a high in the rotation at a minimum for for a good team. And you know, what were the, some of the things that Denny? You know, we were concerned about going when he came on board beyond just sort of the transition from this, you know, young kid coming from another country here. You know, his his, his shooting. Right. I mean, dude's killing it from three. He's shooting way over 40 percent. I mean, there's only a, ha- a handful of rookies. I mean, a literal small handful of rookies making uh, a higher percentage of threes. One of them, Tyrese Halliburton, obviously, who they didn't take. But what we're going to say positive. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, off the bat. You know things we you know, I liked about Denny. We liked about Denny. His instincts out on the court, his passing. We saw a play yesterday against the Bulls where he you know had the ball on a fast break, drove up the court, and was able to 
create an opportunity with a pass to, to, to Hachimura uh, to, to get for a layup. And I just want to see him continue to be in that role. Yet Yesterday, they put him on the bench with Bertans moving to the starting lineup. And maybe on some level, I, w- I want to view that as negatively. Like, well, wait, shouldn't you be giving this kid at this point the, the, run, the opportunity? I actually don't mind it on some level because I actually kind of like seeing what he can do with Ish Smith a little bit better than maybe with Westbrook and Beal where those guys are just sort of pounding the ball. And, you know, I, I'd like to see him in more of an open court game. And I think with Ish, you're going to get that. So for me, I guess it's just where does he go the rest of the way? Again, I can I, I, I can talk myself into positives for this team no matter what the record. If if he and to some degree Hachimura step up, so yeah, for me, Danny Avdia, like what he does the rest of the way, just they got to just keep putting him in good spots, feed him as best they can, and um, you know, hopefully help him you know go to another level this year. He was good last night against Chicago. I mean, he got he got pulled from the starting lineup. I thought he handled it well. I mean, I really did. I thought he defended Zach Levine really nicely. He didn't make his shots for for kind of the first time this year. We just saw him missing open threes. They all the threes he took were fine. He just missed all five of the ones he took. He's still shooting a good percentage on the year, but he defended really well. I thought did a really good job on Zach Levine. I I, I think he's going to become a really nice defender. I think that's going to be really good for them. He's going to he's going to play both sides of the floor. He moves his feet well. He still fouls too much, but he also just like doesn't get calls because he's a rookie and he gets those, you know, rookie kind of leaning in calls and 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 that stuff like like all the overfouling stuff that's very common for rookies and I feel like that's going to be solved for him. He's he's um he looks good. He looks good. I think off the bench, quite honestly, it's going to give him more of an opportunity to play make too. Like it's gonna give him more of an opportunity to do that kind of stuff, handle more, and we'll see. We'll see how that goes. You know, they stagger Westbrook with the bench, so we'll see exactly how many minutes he plays with Westbrook. But just not playing alongside Beal and Westbrook for as many minutes, which I anticipate he won't if he's coming off the bench, is gonna give him more of an opportunity to play, making the half court, to grab defensive rebounds and push, show off his skill set a little bit more. It could honestly help his development. I, I don't really have a problem at all with him coming off the bench, and I certainly don't have a problem with Bertans being with the starters. So I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I just think that's, you know, when, when I watch the Wizards play, whether it's the well, the rare win last night or at the 30 point blowout, I, you know, it's that level of how he develops, you know, is to me as important as almost anything else, because that's where, you know, Washington's going to, you know, if they're going to improve, it's going to be with these young guys on top of Beal and the Westbrook. And obviously a lot goes into how ownership logically should view what Tommy Shepard's doing. He's drafting these guys. And if, you know, if there's no signs of, you know, if it's not looking good, that's not good for Tommy Shepard. But if it is, then obviously that gives you more of a of a reason to think, hey, we're we're heading in the right direction, record aside, um, because you know we're we're bringing in some good young players. Yeah, should I read one of mine? Go for All it. All right, this one's niche as hell, and I've got oh. a reference to this in my story, which hasn't yet come out. It might come out after the podcast. I don't really know the timing on this, but I'm I'm filing this shortly after we finish the podcast. Just a little reference to this in the story, but I'm going to say it on the podcast anyway, because I like it and it's at the bottom of the story and I don't even know the overlap of people who read me versus listening to me. So here we go. So I hit up Seth Partnow last week and our our analytics guy at The Athletic, and I, I hit up Seth, who did analytics for the Bucks for a long time, and, and I hit him up with the express purpose of asking him 
how many minutes or how many shots a guy had to take before we could look at his free throw rate and say that it actually indicated something real. Uh, free throw rate is how many free throws a guy takes per sh- per field goal attempt. And Seth said about 250 minutes uh, or 100 to 150 field goal attempts. Garrison Matthews is right in the middle of that range now. He's played about twice as many minutes for his career, and he's taken 127 shots in his career. His free throw rate is 55% for his career right now. You know how many players in the NBA this season have a free throw rate better than 55%, Ben? How many um, guards, how many guards I, I should not. say? One. You'll be surprised to know I don't. One guard in the NBA, Trey Young. That's it. For reference, 55% is higher than James Harden's career percentage. So, look, I I, I still think there's a little bit of a... Uh, I think there's definitely some noise in the Garrison Matthews stuff because he gets fouled on so many threes, which props up the number of free throws that he's taking. And I don't think that's going to continue to happen as he becomes more of a known quantity, because I believe the reason that he gets fouled on as many threes as he does is because he jumps forward so much on his shooting motion and and opponents just don't know who he is. So they think they're closing out when in reality they're running into his landing zone and they're fouling him. And I think his opponents get a better idea of who he is and just like what he looks like as a player as he plays more. They're not going to foul him as much on threes, but he's getting fouled at the rim and he's still going to get fouled on threes because he just chucks so many contested threes. He just doesn't care. He, he I, I do think he needs to probably pass more and swing more and that kind of stuff on the perimeter, but he can get better at that. But he's he's so confident shooting contested shots that guys just sometimes foul him Uh and he is getting to the line in his 473 career minutes at an unbelievable rate. And it's just stabilizing at this 50-something percent number. Uh, I don't know. Worth watching. Garrison Matthews might be an elite free throw getter. That's my really niche thing that we're starting off the podcast with that we definitely haven't discussed before. We definitely haven't discussed that before. I definitely don't have anything that niche or that interesting. So I'm already disappointed in my own is, homework. Isn't that um, fascinating, though? I mean, we talk about Garrison it, Matthews as, as as you know, a spot-up shooter and all that. And, and he's been getting to the line like crazy. It feels like he, he shoots four or five free throws every, every time he plays. He's kind of fallen out of the rotation of late. But, hey, which which I personally would not be doing i've been saying since the preseason that i'd be playing garrison matthews 20 something minutes and tying his minutes to westbrook's for sure uh but but matthews is getting to the line he's getting fouled around the rim he's getting fouled on breaks and and close out guys closing out are still clipping him on his jump shots it's i think he's been fouled on six threes this year seven threes this year i don't think that part's going to keep up but He's going to be good. I I think we can say at this point, he's going to be good at getting to the line. And that's going to be a thing that's going to be able to prop up his scoring efficiency, even on nights that his his jump shot doesn't fall a lot of the time. Uh, I I, I maintain Garrison Matthews is a legitimate, a legitimate rotation player. 
Um, somebody asked this, I think, to one of us or, or to both of us on Twitter at some point, and you may have discussed this, and I and I apologize if so. What's the deal here with him in the two-way? Don't, at some point, are they going to convert him, or am I missing something here? Well, they don't have to yet uh, because he gets 50 games this year. Right, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, what are we doing? Well, they have to cut someone is the thing because they have 15 sure. guys on the roster. So there's just no reason to do it now. I mean, teams don't tend to convert their two-way guys until they reach their two-way limit. It's just how teams do it. Uh, so, so he's got thirty some odd games left to play before he, you know, has to be converted in order for them to keep him. And I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, we'll see. You don't necessarily. Also, you don't. Nece- you don't necessarily get to lock up a guy when you convert him on a two way because you can only give him a couple of years. If you wait until free agency, you can give him more if you want to pay him. Use the. You know, you want to use. Uh, you know, your mid level or something like that to sign him. Then you can you can give him more years. So if you want to lock up a guy for a long time, you might you might you know call up the agent under the table and be like, hey, this is why we're doing this. We want to give your guy years. We love him. Come back. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying there are a lot of reasons for why they wouldn't have converted him beyond just, oh, we don't want him. We're slow moving. We don't think he's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I guess my question, who's the, who right now, Who let's just say they decided to, to convert him today. Who's the, who, who's the last guy on the team right now? Probably Anthony Gill. Okay. So I don't know what to make of Anthony Gill. He's barely played, which, you know. Whatever it kind of you know you kind of knew that that might happen just because you know this is how things work. Um, is there anybody else I'm thinking? Uh, who who anybody else that would be uh, potentially uh, cut? If not this really, I mean the other thing to remember is that they could end up making a trade before the trade deadline, and if you make a two for one trade, you can free up a roster spot. You don't have to cut anyone. Right. I guess I, I guess my point would be, and this is uh, if you want to make this one of my topics, just because I'm making it up off the top of my head here. But I guess my thing is, and this is like you always make fun of me for the whole end of the roster stuff, which is fine. But like, so like, if we're the Wizards are in this position where, like, I get technically they're still in the chase for the 10 seed, but you know, I suspect you and I are not overly optimistic about whatever that means based on what we've seen so far. Like, to me, like, use these opportunities to see what else is out there. I mean, Garrison Matthews was a guy who was signed as an undrafted free agent, right? I mean, and and he's looked interesting enough to the point that we're talking about him, and we've talked about him a bunch to say he should be in the rotation. So what's more interesting for this team over the last 40-something games? Uh, Garrison Matthews on the roster and using his two-way spot to, for, to to look at other players in this weirdest of years where, you know, it's all, I mean, I look, it's weird. I don't know. Maybe there's not even a point to try bringing guys in because you're not really practicing or God knows what, but like, I like, I don't know. Shouldn't like that be more something like you should be using more. I mean, if they think Gil is somebody that they, that could be in the rotation eventually. Okay, fine. But you know, I, I and I'm not saying to cut him per se. I'm just, I, I like, I, I just, at some point I, these opportunities take advantage of them. I sometimes just don't feel they don't. That's why I always harp on these things. Um, But that would be, that would be my lone question. You're right. From a basic uh, strategic contractual standpoint, there's no reason to rush him, but just from a standpoint of, look, we do want to keep him for the next couple of years. Screw Who knows what he's going to be? Yeah. Let's sign him to a two year deal. I'm down with that. They should be down with that at a minimum. If they think he's better than that, then probably should be playing more to your point. So, um, that that would be my only but my only real thought there. He should be playing more.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What else you got? Oh, yeah. Um, well, th- this one does sort of trend into into probably revisited territory to a degree, but I, I don't know, at least not with me. I don't know how much we focus on it directly. Um, maybe we have. I, you know, I, I, I say this before. I lose track. When do, what, what, what do Fred and I talk about offline versus online? <laughs> uh, but with regards to the, to, to the defense, you know, I, I, I looked back at um, when they hired Mike Longombardi just to see what was said in the original statement that when they hired him and it said, uh, this is all quotes from Scott Brooks. Um, Mike will use his considerable experience and championship pedigree to help to head up our defensive efforts. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I mean, if, if this was the Washington football team that I cover and the defensive coordinator position was a real position, it's not really a real position in the NBA per se. It's not nobody's listed as that directly, really. We'd be going, hey, what's going on with the defense, Ron Rivera? Why, what, what, why, what is happening here? What, what, what do you need to see more out of from the players, but also from defensive coordinator so and so? And it's just, it's just wild to me. I mean, this guy, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't know, I never met Mike Lombardi. I don't know his, uh, you know, he may be the most brilliant strategist ever, but like he came here from a Cleveland team. That was what they, they finished historically as the worst defensive team of all time. They were at least last that in his last year, the 2018-19 season, with a defensive rating of 116.8. Uh, and the Wizards, the last two years, have been tw- were 29th last year, and right now I think they're 28th, which is almost crazy that there's two teams worse than them. Uh, meanwhile, Cleveland this year, and things change. Cleveland is up to middle of the pack in the league. Uh, in terms of defensive rating. And I guess it just feels like, again, maybe I'm wrong and I, I'm not reading everything out there in Wizards Twitter or, or you know beyond whatever Fred's doing, but just this is such a weird thing. I, I just don't understand why it's sort of maybe just directly, again, if I if, if you've done it or others, apologies. It just feels like, hey, Scott, you, you said this guy was coming to help your defense. You guys have essentially been at the bottom of the league since he arrived. What are we missing here? He also came in with, you know, what what's... What's the deal here? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me that they're this bad. But we get the players are, are at fault. But from a st- strategic standpoint, I mean, what is it literally? The, he's designing things right and the players are not executing. It doesn't make any sense that like this. I mean, we don't talk about NBA assistants like this, but maybe we should. That's fair. That's all totally fair. He's the guy who came in to help their defense, and the defense has gotten worse over the last two years. And it was 27th when he came in, so it's not like there were high standards that it fell from. But that is totally fair. That is totally fair. It certainly hasn't changed. The defensive culture hasn't changed since he came. There's no question about that. And uh, isn't it amazing they're 28th in defense right now? (laughs) Like, isn't that incredible? You mean that they're not 30th? Yes, 
Yeah, yeah, no, when I looked that up, I I, I went to NBA.com today and looked it up, and I was like, whoa, like, I just went straight to the bottom of the list. So I was like, wait, they're not there? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, they, what a typo. Yeah, I mean, the the Kings have been, the Kings have been playing great lately, but they are still dead last in defense. And uh, I think the Wizards are like one one hundredth of a point per 100 possessions ahead of the Blazers. Like it could not be closer in defense. Like I think they're technically tied with the Blazers, right? They're just like barely ahead of the Blazers. Uh, It could not be closer. So, you know, good for the Wizards climbing up to eighth, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that's fair. I think the difference between football and between basketball and, uh, you know, you obviously know so much more about the football side than I do, but responsibilities are so clearly delegated to different verticals in football when even though we'll say, you know, Longabardi runs the defense and Robert Pack runs the offense, you know, there are it's more of a group effort. You have all of your assistants in that meeting. You have all of your assistants contributing to stuff. It's it's really more of a group effort. Whereas you know you've got your in football you've got your defensive coordinator, and then under him you've got your linebackers coach and your defensive backs coach, and so on. You've got your offensive coordinator, and under him you got your quarterbacks coach and your running backs coach, your receivers coach, and so on. You got your special teams coordinator, and so on. And so I think it's just it's more definitively aligned in football than it is in basketball. But you're right. If a guy's reputation is defense and, and he was a defensive minded coach in Boston, he was a, he was a defensive leaning coach in, in Phoenix. And, and he was, he was obviously that for Cleveland. And he wasn't just that for Cleveland when they were bad. He was, he was that for Cleveland when they were good, when LeBron was there. Um, but, but it, he's, he's had what he's, he's run some defenses the last three years that have, that have been, you know, Cleveland was 30th. And you're right. It's fair to say they are now middle of the pack. I think they're 14th in defense right now. And they started off really strong and have fallen off lately. But, you know, the personnel is a little different. They got Andre Drummond, who's having a good year. And and the young guards are a little less young. And they got a little bit more discipline on the on the perimeter. But that all being said, you know, they got a Coro, who's a good defender. But, but that all being said, you're right. It's fair, and uh, maybe you're right. Maybe we should be asking about it more. And like I said, I don't know definitively that the, the issue is him. But then again, when as a, this is definitely not new topic. But like you know, if Scott Brooks isn't going to sort of criticize anybody publicly, then we don't know. Like, are the players just botching it versus the the the, the you know the the calls themselves? And I, I get he's not going to go into super detail, but like without knowing, this is the issue when you don't sort of say anything. Well, we're left to wonder, and that's why I'm wondering, okay, well, this guy, based on what we've seen in, 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 in teams without LeBron James, his teams don't seem to play good defense. So what's going on here? I got a niche one, another niche one. Hey, it's not even that niche. It's uh, We'll call it Niche Smith because I, I, I'm curious what the future of Ish Smith is. Uh, he, he is not making shots like he did last year. And and Ish has certainly never been a jump shooter. But the last three years, he's just kind of found a way to make shots. I mean, he had the best three-point shooting season of his career last year. And he's never been some sort of hyper-efficient guard. But he hasn't been detrimentally inefficient in years. 
you know, since becoming an established rotation player, really, you know, and earning that three-year contract in Detroit half a decade ago. He hasn't been a detrimentally inefficient player. And I think he's having his worst season in years. And it's not just the fact that the effective field goal percentage is way low and he's not making his threes. He's actually taking threes at a much lower rate than he was before. It's also the types of lineups that Scott Brooks is leaning towards using him in. Those three point guard lineups have not been effective. The Ish Smith, Russell Westbrook lineups by themselves haven't been effective. And if Brooks has a proclivity for playing Howell Neto, you don't necessarily need Smith as as part of your rotation. Now, I I will say Ish Smith is is very possibly the most Ish Smith is about as respected a veteran role player as you can possibly be. He is an absolutely beloved teammate and for very good reason. From and he has had a lot of teammates. That he he might literally have had more teammates literally than any other player in the NBA. Like he might have more career teammates because he's played for so many teams so many different times and he's been traded so many times and whatnot. And I am willing to bet that you could not find one who has one negative word to say about that guy. Um, so maybe that plays into the situation of giving him more leeway. The fact that everybody in that locker room just loves him. Uh, but if you're going to play Neto, and, you know, obviously this doesn't apply for nights that Westbrook doesn't play. And Smith is going to eat into, say, Garrison Matthews minutes. This isn't even necessarily some sort of argument that Smith is a worse player than Matthews. It's just really about fit. Ish is a, is a ball-dominant guard who doesn't like to give up. I shouldn't say doesn't like to give up his dribble. Just stylistically, he's a guy who doesn't give up his dribble. He He's a ball-dominant backup point guard. And... The Wizards are already playing a ball-dominant starting point guard and who who plays with the second unit with the way that they stagger him. Now they're playing two ball-dominant point guards who aren't really defenders right next to each other, and neither of them are three-point shooters. And I, I think if Ish isn't going to make his shots and with the way that Brooks is using him, I could just see them at some point uh, changing the way that they that they rotate him or, or decreasing his minutes. Uh, I just I feel like that's a natural thing that could come. I've kind of felt all year that if they wanted to upgrade somewhere, he was a national trade candidate. And with the way that Neto has performed and the opportunities that Brooks has given him, I I feel that way even more now. Um, and that's just my intuition. That's not anything based on sources, but I am. I am officially intrigued by the Ish Smith narrative because it's been, uh, you know, 21 games now of a 72 game season, and he's got a 40 percent effective field goal percentage, and uh, that that number is becoming tougher and tougher to ignore, unfortunately. Yeah, and and also like to the point, I mean, not only does these, yeah, right, all the lineup stuff you mentioned with Ish Smith, none of that has made any sense as we've discussed over and over again, um, and. You know, also, you know, we, we mentioned Garrison Matthews, you, you know, could be getting more minutes. You know, same thing with Troy Brown. Like, over the rest of the season, what what if you're the Wizards, what's more interesting for you? Having those two guys play or having the three point guards all play? I mean, it should be pretty obvious. But 
it depends on what's your priority in terms of, you know, are you actually trying to win games, you know, so to speak, or are you actually trying to figure out what you have moving, moving forward, sit recognizes that your best hope for success is coming down the line. So yeah, I, I, you know, I I agree. I mean, it doesn't make that much sense to have all three of those guys. And by the way, even if Westbrook, even if you're like, well, wait, Westbrook is still going to miss games. I mean, you also have cash as Winston. It's not like you don't have another point guard. I know he's, you know, elsewhere at the moment, but I mean, he exists. He's a four-year player in college. He should be ready to play some level of NBA minutes now, and we're only talking about having to play, you know, what, 10 minutes a game sometimes on the nights that Westbrook's out. It's not that, you know, it shouldn't be that complicated if this was a guy you've already brought into the fold, so it's, you know, you can't just throw him back overseas anymore. You might as well use him so he exists too. So, yeah, I agree. It doesn't make – it will be interesting to see if they do at some point – move one of these guys uh, or, you know, just decide, all right, you know, issues here, but we we're, we're, we got to go with some of these other players. So I've, I, that, that, that'll bring me to my, my last one. I got written down. If you want to get to it, go for it. Um, I wonder when the pivot comes, what's the marker for when the pivot comes by the pivot. I mean, I don't even necessarily mean like drastic changes of, of changing over an administration or anything like that. I, I just mean more the when does the objective for the season change? Does the objective for the season ever change? They're six and 15. Does, does the objective for the season change if they are 10 and 32? Does that happen? If they're 13 and 29, do they say, you know what? We're not chasing the playoff tournament. Uh, we're we're now playing the same way we did a year ago, where last year the year was about developing the young guys, giving the young guys opportunities. It was about progression. It wasn't about just trying to win as many games in the nineteen twenty season as possible. And at some point, they're six and fifteen. I know they don't believe that they're there yet, but at some point the pivot comes. You know, two years ago. We feel like the pivot never came. It did literally come. It just came for the last like 10 games of the season way later than anybody expected from a 50 win team or way later than anybody thought it should. Or for, I'm sorry, a 50 loss team way later than anyone thought it should for a 50 loss team. But it did literally come. So it will come at some point, even if it's just for the last seven games of the year, the pivot will come uh, if they continue to lose. And every year, each team has a different Breaking point for when that pivot comes, and I'm curious for when this one says. So I guess the interesting thing is, like, you don't have to announce you're making a pivot. You can just start to do some things, you know, and one day you'll come on the podcast and say, hey, Ish Smith hasn't played in four of the last five games, or his minutes have been curtailed from 20, I don't know what he's averaging, 20 minutes a game to five minutes a game, and Troy Brown has now played in the last X of games and things like that. That's what that's what you're talking about with this kind of pivot. So they don't have to actually announce that. But, you know, it will become obvious. But, you know, I always go back to the whole thing of Ted saying, you know, we will never tank. And so it becomes sort of like if knowing him, I guess, to some degree, like the idea of not that he would be involved. You would hope not. So in some level, in terms of these types of decisions. But like, you know, that's when when you talk about when's the pivot coming, I, I kind of wonder, does it come from him as opposed to Tommy Shepard or Scott Brooks? Because Scott Brooks is going to want to try to win games. There's no pivot for him. He He's not under contract after this year. So what like him pivoting to what? Right. He's going to try to win games. 
So I kind of wonder if at some point does the owner say, all right, we are going to make this pivot and that pivot's going to come. We're going to make some changes. So either this is what I want to see happen. And if you guys are on board, great. If not, then we can make some changes right now and put in a, a put in somebody in the, in the head coach, interim coach spot, whatever to do these things. Um, but I, you know, I mean, like what, like what's the point of Scott Brooks and maybe even for Tommy Shepard to say, let's go with the younger guys and we'll take the lumps of them developing when you're not going to automatically be here next year to see it through. So I do kind of feel like the owner is going to have to be the one on some level to, or maybe Tommy Shepard, but to have to say, this is going to have to be the change. All right. Anything to plug before we wrap up? Um, if you're into the football, I wrote a story on the athletic with a couple of other NFL writers about everything's kind of going on with the quarterback. Um, situation not just for washington around the league all these things interconnect so the latest on you know who who's into who and uh you know fact from fiction all that kind of stuff so you can uh check that out and the podcast standard room only um i haven't had any wizards talk this week but you know that, that can change any minute maybe i'll pivot <laughs> All right, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Subscribe to Standing Room Only. Read Ben's stuff. Uh, You can subscribe to Wizards After Dark wherever you're listening to this podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts generally. You can give us five stars on iTunes. You can leave a written review. Those help a lot more than you might ever realize. You can subscribe to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month if you go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, and that gets you a full subscription to The Athletic, not just Wizards coverage, it gets you everything, not just DC coverage, you get MLB, you get NFL, you get NBA, you get national coverage on everything, you get all of our beat writers across all of the sports that we cover, you get everything for just $3.99 a month if you go to theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark, you can sign up there. I'll be back with another episode in all likelihood later this week or by the weekend i'll talk to you guys then Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.